Good morning once again. I'm excited to open God's Word this morning as we continue in our teaching series uh, through the Lord's Prayer. This series is called Our Father, and this is week 11. Uh, today's message is called Soil, Sunlight, and Water. Soil, Sunlight, and Water. Uh, as I mentioned last week, today's message is one of those time capsule messages, one of those COVID time capsule messages, uh, last week, this week, and I think next week too. They're messages that I wrote in March of 2020. Uh, and so there's kind of this unique aspect that we had no idea. I had no idea what lay ahead exactly at that time. All we had was uh, kind of a threat on the horizon. We knew something was coming, something was happening, but we didn't really know what it was like yet. Uh, so if you would, uh, let's get into the Wayback Machine again and go back in time. We're going back to March of 2020. <laughs> Today is the third day of spring and one week since we were warned to stay inside and to, to avoid contact with others and to start doing a phrase that now in retrospect I'm really tired of, social distance. If I never hear that word used in actual sentences again, I'm okay. I'm tired of social distancing. I never want to hear that phrase again. Okay, but we were just warned to stay inside, avoid contact with others, and to, avoid, and to social distance. This is a grim time. This is a grim time with a lot of unknowns, many circulating fears, rumors regarding coronavirus, and how and when it will get here. The global casualty count is rising each day as this unseen menace it creeps closer and people everywhere are on increasing levels of alert. Do you remember this feeling? Just like unknowing this ominous threat coming our way? Everyone seems to be coping in their own way. Some are more equipped for time spent in quarantine than others. Uh, some are quite comfortable, introverts, and some are going a little crazy, extroverts. Anyone? Anyone really happy with quarantine when it was happening? You're just like, man, I'm happy as a clam. And some of you are like looking through the blinds with tears rolling down your cheeks like, the mailman, I can't wait to see the mailman. Now one upshot of all the free time we had during quarantine, uh, for my wife anyway, is it provided an open-ended opportunity to spend time in the garden. We have a garden and Christy had invitation to be out there all the time. For whatever it's worth, this global pandemic came at a pretty good time if you were planning on getting your garden put in. I mean, that's one upshot, right? It came at a good time for your garden. If you had a garden you wanted to get up and going, coronavirus was a gift. It helped you get your garden right where it needed to be. For a couple of hours each day, Christy could be found uh, working in, on the, her raised beds, uh, amending the soil, planting seeds, and then standing back. She did this about half of the time, standing back with her garden gloved hands, resting lightly on her hips, smiling. <laughs> you know anyone else garden this way? About 50% of the time you're doing stuff and then the other part you're just standing back looking at your stuff, looking at your, your, uh, your beds and the beautiful dirt work you've done. It was pleasant. Gardening is one of my wife's simple pleasures, and it should be. Gardening should be a simple pleasure for all of us. Why? Well, if you think about it, working in a garden 
has a deep and significant history with us humans. There's something about working the soil, planting, cultivating, that really speaks to something deep and significant uh, in who we are. It reconnects us at, at a deeper level to our original home and our original vocation. We really were made to plant. We really were made to tend and to nurture and to harvest. The feeling of soil in our hands, it reminds us of Eden. The, the feeling of soil on our hands, it reminds us of Eden. It, it kindles memories of a now forgotten home. And it stirs a nostalgia for when things were right in the world. It stirs a hope that someday things will once again be right in the world. This is gardening to my wife. And this is what gardening kind of means to all of us as well. Now, how many here are familiar to some degree with gardening? You don't have to be a master gardener, but you've planted, maybe killed things. Okay. <laughs> Any brown thumbs? Real brown thumbs in the room? <laughs> well, you might know this. A basic understanding uh, in successful gardening is that plants need three things in order to survive and to thrive. Can anyone name those three things? Soil, sunlight, and water. Soil, sunlight, and water. Three things, good soil, sunlight, and water. These three ingredients are really the only things required to grow a productive garden. Provide these things and seeds and plants, they will take care of the rest. You do your part, the plants, they'll do their part. Now, much of the Christian life is like gardening. I think there's some parallels in this metaphor here. Much of the Christian life is like gardening. Provide the necessary soil, sunlight, and water in the life with God, and what happens? Growth, fruitfulness, and blessing, they naturally occur. We, in, we make available to ourselves those things which are essential for the life in Christ, and naturally, growth, fruitfulness, and blessing, it occurs. So, what is the soil, the sunlight, and the water in the Christian life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thankfully, Jesus points out to his disciples, he, he points these things out, the soil, the sunlight, and the water of the Christian life. He points these things out to his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. If you recall, following the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer in which God is praised and God is honored and his way and his will is invited to come into our world, we find ourselves at Jesus' invitation making requests. We are guided by Jesus to say, hey, turn and say, God, I need these things. I desire these things from you. I, I, I want these things in my life. Help me want these things in my life. Jesus leads us to make requests. And the kind of requests that Jesus demonstrates uh, leads us into asking for the essentials of our faith, things that free us, things that enable us, to grow, to thrive, and to love well. The Expositor's Bible Commentary explains it this way. The first three petitions stand independently from one another. The last three, however, are linked in the Greek by ands. A-N-D-S. They're linked by ands. They're connected, almost as if they to say that life sustained by food is not enough. We also need forgiveness of sin and deliverance from temptation. 
So you see it there, the three things that Jesus points out. So here you go. Jesus encourages us to ask God our Father for the provisions we need, that our daily bread, and that is our soil. That is the soil of the Christian life. God, give us that which we need spiritually, physically. Feed my soul. Sustain my body. I need these things each and every day, and I know they come from you. So Jesus says, ask God your Father for the food you need, your daily bread. This is the soil. Then he goes on to say, and forgive our sins as we forgive others. This would be the sunlight that we need in the Christian life. And then third, keep us from temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. This is the water we need in the Christian life. So you see where the metaphor is being kind of paralleled here? Okay. Give us today our daily bread. This is the soil in which we grow. Forgive us as we forgive others. This is the sunlight that helps us grow. And then lead us not to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. This is the water we need. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And Jesus said, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So, for those of you who were here last week, you recall uh, uh, we talked about our daily bread. And today we're talking about that as if it's the soil in which we grow in following after Jesus. So following our gardening metaphor, uh, the soil of the Christian life is the daily bread. This is what it means to depend on God for our, our whole lives. For our livelihoods, let's start there. God, everything I need to survive and thrive, it comes from you. It comes from you. I need it from you. Like God providing manna in the wilderness for Israel, unless God provides our daily bread today, we will never survive. We will never thrive physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. Unless God builds the building, unless God builds your life, it just won't happen. Like a seed tucked into good soil, we need the nutrients and minerals of God's provision if we are ever to germinate, to put down roots, and to break through the soil and grow toward the light. We need God's provision in all areas of our life. So, if our daily bread is the soil that God provides, the foundation for our growth, uh, the forgiveness we find in Jesus is the sunlight that clears the sky and warms us. Okay, you kind of follow where we're going? Okay, the soil is God's provision, but now the, the forgiveness that we find in God and the forgiveness we're uh, commanded to give to others provides that sunlight that clears the clouds and provides the warmth that we need. And then, we'll talk about this more next week, but the water we need comes through God delivering us from temptation, allowing us, enabling us to live faithfully uh, as we hide His Word in our hearts. Next week, we will talk more about the clean water of faithfulness to God and the abundance that comes from being free from pollution, free from the pollution and the drought of temptation, of actually being rescued from the evil one. Isn't it great to think that God offers these things? Why would Jesus encourage us to ask for them if God wasn't willing to give them? To give you your daily bread, your daily provisions, what you need to, to survive and thrive, but then also to say, hey, Forgiveness is possible, 
and freedom from temptation is possible. God is willing and able to help us in all these ways, and we'll talk more about it next week as well. So today, let's think about how our sins toward God and our unresolved conflicts with others hang like low, dark clouds in the sky. Unforgiveness hangs in our skies like dark, menacing clouds, obscuring the sunlight, wilting our spirits, and stunting our growth. Maybe you've felt this before. How, 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 how unresolved conflict causes something in you to wither. Uh, unconfessed sin between you and God, it causes something to atrophy inside of us. We know what that feels like. So let's imagine that that unresolved conflict between you and God and you and others, it hangs like low, dark clouds in your life. It wilts your spirit and it stunts your growth. We need forgiveness from God. We need forgiveness from God and we need a willing heart to forgive others. Man, some of us wish that God hadn't, or Jesus hadn't connected those two things, right? We love it being just about me and, me and God through Jesus, right? Oh, he's, he's washed me white as snow. I'm clean. I'm going to heaven when I get out of this dump with all these idiots. You know, uh, you know I mean, we want to just, it to be me and God. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It's you and God and you and others. They're intrinsically connected. We need forgiveness from God and a willing heart to forgive others if we ever hope to see God clear the clouds. If we ever hope to see God cause the sun to fully shine in our lives, we must seek forgiveness. N.T. Wright helps us here by saying, We pray for forgiveness, unlike some religions, in which every single action carries eternal and unbreakable consequences. At the heart of Judaism and Christianity lies the belief that Though human actions matter very deeply, forgiveness is possible and through God's love can become actual. Jesus assumes that we will need to ask for forgiveness not on one or two rare occasions, but very regularly. I mean, side note, Jesus says here's how you should pray. Every prayer should include a confession of your need for forgiveness that we would ask frequently. When we, every time we pray, we acknowledge we need God's forgiveness. But then we also must be willing then to forgive others. So, very regularly. This is a sobering thought. But it is matched by the comforting news that forgiveness is freely available as often as we need it. There is, however, a condition. Which, remarkably enough, is brought right into the prayer itself. We ourselves must be forgiving people. We ourselves must be forgiving people. Jesus takes an extra moment afterward to explain why. The heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. That last line stopped me in my tracks when I read it. I'll read it again. The heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. Sweet mother of Melchizedek. That's terrifying. Our hearts will not be available to God's forgiveness if they are closed toward the forgiving of other people. The heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered to us. Cripes. 
I wrote that in my notes. Cripes. Now, Jesus knows this stuff is hard for us. Has anyone here struggled with forgiving before? And you're aware of this? Like, oh, I know what Jesus said, and this is so hard. This part's easy compared to this part. It's easy to go to God and say, I messed up again. I need forgiveness. But this person? This person. God, do you know what they did? Do you know how that hurt? I don't think I can do that. I don't know if I can forgive like you have forgiven. Jesus knows this is hard for us. It's a daily struggle in our life of faith. So I think it's telling that it's in the Lord's Prayer. A daily reminder for us. I don't know about you, but I am very quick to accept God's forgiveness. I've come to terms, for the most part, with what Jesus has done for me. I still struggle to, to receive God's grace like I think a lot of us do. But I've come to terms with that, and I'm willing more and more to run to God and accept His forgiveness. But I am often very slow to offer forgiveness to others. I like to think I'm pretty easygoing and I don't hold a grudge. But man, there's people I can think of right now that if I saw them uh, out in public, it would bring back a whole flood of memories. And I might just kind of slip into the next aisle over at the store. I might do my best to avoid them because I don't want to have a conversation. I'm not sure I'm there yet in my heart toward this person. So this message, what Jesus says, it's for me too. I recognize this in me. I'm quick to accept God's forgiveness of me, but I'm slow to offer forgiveness to others. Is that you? Are you with me in that struggle? It's hard, and Jesus knew that was hard for us. This is why Jesus places the seeking and the giving of forgiveness so prominently in his answer to the question, how should we pray? This should be a, on heavy rotation in your prayer life, Jesus says. Forgive us as we forgive others. Jesus does this so that we will remember it and that we will return to it often. Jesus drives this point home with, his, with what is probably the most uncomfortable and searing parable in all of the Gospels. Maybe in all, of all the parables, all the stories Jesus told, this one is the most uncomfortable for me. This is the most searing one, and we find it in Matthew chapter 18. Have you ever heard Jesus' story about the unforgiving debtor? Oh, oh man, it'll roll your socks down. It's, 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 it's horrifying. Because it calls into question, it calls into the open something that, 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 that lives in me, an attitude that's at home in me far too often. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? That sounds magnanimous, right? I'm willing to forgive somebody up to and including seven times. Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In that moment, I imagine Peter like, carry the three. Oh, sorry, he got out his phone, did the calculator. <laughs> what? 
Seventy times seven. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You've heard that story, right? Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable for sure. What happened? The king's calling in his accounts. He calls in this debtor that owes a boatload of money. He says, I'm going to put you in jail until you can pay it back, which doesn't make a lot of sense in my mind. How are you going to do that? You know? <laughs> You're going to jail until you can pay off this debt. Anyway, the guy falls down, begs, pleads. The king says, you know what? It's funny, the guy says, I will pay you back. But as we will see, that's not a debt he could ever pay back. The amount of money he owed was way beyond any one man's ability to earn. Anyway, the king has pity and says, go. You're free. I have forgiven the debt. And he goes out and he turns into a giant jerk, turns in, you know, demands this other guy that owes him a few thousand dollars and uh, really does not reflect that same kindness or mercy to his fellow debtor. Um, and so he's punished in return. So um, Jesus here paints the perfect picture for us. He captures perfectly the situation. We all get it and we all feel its truth. No one reads the story and thinks, oh, you know, everyone that saw this happen, they're like upset. Like, why? This is unfair. This guy's been forgiven of so much, yet he's unwilling to forgive someone of a little? This is wrong. Fellow servants were upset. You notice that in the story, right? Their, their sense of fairness and justice was violated in seeing what happened here. So Jesus paints the picture. So here's what's going on. Jesus' disciple, Peter, he asks how many times a reasonable person should forgive someone who sins against them. And Peter goes so far as to offer a generous suggestion. Seven times. Seven times. I mean, really, think about it. Someone that offends you repeatedly. If you forgave them six or seven times, you'd be seen as a pretty upstanding person, right? Man, you were long-suffering. You forgave this person half a dozen times. So he says seven times. And Jesus blows his sandals right off. He says, no, not seven. Not seven times. How about 70 times seven? 70 times 7. Now, your Bible might say 77 times. Zewan's Bible says 77 times. It's a little bit tricky there. But still, that's a lot. That's a lot. 
Now, what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying we are to forgive offending people between 77 and 490 times? Is that what he's saying here? Is Jesus' point that we can patiently count transgressions against us, and once they reach that magic number, ooh, baby, powder me. You know, we're going to bring it now. Um, we, can no lo we, we no longer have to forgive, and we are free to just wreak havoc on this person to punish them? No, of course not. Jesus is saying, forgive unlimited number of times. Because Jesus isn't meaning keep a little tally, you know, like, okay, 400 and 488, 489, 490, clobber time. No. These numbers are being used symbolically. He's like, do it more times than you can count. Do it an unlimited number of times. Why? Because you must remember this. God himself has shown you unlimited forgiveness. God has shown you unlimited mercy in paying off uh, your debt, your unlimited debt of sin. God has showed you an unlimited amount of forgiveness and mercy in forgiving you. Now the debtor in this parable... We don't deal in, in talents and denarii anymore, which your Bible might use denarii and talents in this parable that Jesus told. But the debtor in the parable, he owed the king 10,000 talents. Does anyone know how much 10,000 talents is worth? Well, it's equivalent to approximately in 2015 dollars, uh, 375 tons of silver. Sweet. That's a lot. 375 tons of silver. This is more than that debtor would ever see, ever, ever see in his whole lifetime. That's a lot. Now the fellow servant owed this debtor 100 denarii, which was about a day's wage. Uh, and by the way, 6,000 denarii equals one talent. Okay? So 100 denarii were owed. It would take 6,000 denarii to make one talent, and the guy that's being a jerk, he owed 10,000 talents. The Herald News uh, explained it this way. Now realize that 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of labor. Okay, I want to paint a picture here that makes you realize how ridiculous the amount of money this guy owed was. So for him to say, I will pay it. <laughs> the king had to be like, you will pay it. How cute. Now realize that 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of labor. It is 60 million working days. I don't know how this guy racked up this kind of debt. I mean, that raises all kinds of questions for me. But now in modern 2015 money, it is $3.48 billion. Billion with a B. Here is a visual for 10,000 talents. Picture a Chevy one-ton pickup, or a Ford, I don't care. I don't know if we care about that around here, but a pickup, full-size pickup. I don't know, I get people getting mad about that, like Ford. I'd rather, anyway. Um, now, take that full-size pickup and put one ton of pure gold in the back of it, okay? You got it? Now, if you parked those trucks with one ton of gold in the bed, bumper to bumper, the line of trucks would stretch 1.3 miles before you reach 10,000 talents. So these are the kinds of funds we're talking about. That the king is forgiving, like, oh, no biggie. No biggie, you're free. I forgive that debt. I mean, this forgiven debtor should be elated. He should be walking down the street like, I got your coffee. 
let's go. <laughs> you hungry? Let's eat. You know, I'm buying. You know, round on me. You know, he's that guy in the bar that's like, barkeep, rounds on me. <laughs> you know, he's like 10 feet tall all of a sudden. But no, he goes out and he can't see past his own greed. The message is clear. God has graciously forgiven you of much, so you must forgive others. It's not negotiable. Jesus' teaching is uncomfortable for some of us here today. Let's be honest about that. Jesus' teaching is uncomfortable for some of us here today because you have been struggling with this. You've been struggling to forgive. Uh, you, you found yourself holding a grudge. You are reliving over and over again. This is what you do when you're on ceiling patrol laying in bed. You're reliving these past hurts, these past betrayals, these slights, and all that mistreatment. Am I right? I mean, some of you have been carrying some unforgiveness for a long time. And so for, to hear Jesus say this really punches us right in the chest. It's like, oh, no. I wish Adam wasn't preaching about this. I wish Jesus wasn't talking about this. This is uncomfortable. This is hard. Dark clouds have hung in your sky for so long. And they've been blocking out the sunlight for, for months, for years. And it, the net result has been the stunting of your growth. The stunting of your growth uh, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Stunting your growth. Now let's, be, now let's be clear about what Jesus is asking us to do here and what He's not asking us to do. You are not being asked to minimize or ignore what happened to you. That would be unfair. That would be harsh. You're not being asked to minimize or ignore what happened or, or to say that what that person did to you, it doesn't matter. Because in some situations, oh, it mattered. What that person did to you might have been pure evil. And it hurt deeply. So Jesus is not saying, hey, forgive and forget. You know, get over it. Minimize. Act like it didn't matter. Put on you know, a stiff upper lip. However, you are being called upon to offer that hurt, that offense. You are being offered to be, you're, you're being asked to be willing to offer that to God in order to become free. More and more, day by day, prayer by prayer, more and more free of the grudge that you could get a bit more out of its shadow, that you could let go of your need to get even. I mean, I don't know, I, I can't pick out who here in this room, but there's been some hurt and grudge simmering in your heart for a long time, and you know that it's standing between you and God. You know it. You know it. So hear what Jesus is saying. He's not asking you to ignore or act like it didn't happen or that it didn't matter. But what Jesus is saying, you must get to the place where you can offer this to God and say, God, you have to help me in this. This is some of that daily bread I need. You have to help me in this. Provide in this area because it's hard. This is hard for me to do. We are invited to entrust our difficult and painful situations to God and day by day become more free. We must choose to no longer give that person, that person that hurt us, we must choose to no longer give them that much control in our lives. Because really, is that fair? That that person that trashed you, that, that, that hurt you so badly, would control so much of your thought life, 
would control so much of your emotions, would have that much control over your day-to-day -day experience? Do you want that person to control you that way? No way. This is what God is offering you freedom from. But it starts with offering it to Him. Say, I need your help. I need to hold this up in the light of that great forgiveness you've shown me and help me as I grow in Christ-likeness learn to forgive this person as well. What does it look like for me to be able to see them instead of a person I, I have hatred or, or dislike toward? How do I start seeing them as someone that you love and that you were likewise willing to forgive? Help me become more like Jesus in this situation. The Lord's Prayer and the parable of the unforgiving debtor they offer no exceptions. I mean, there's no general footnotes to it, like, well, except, unless. No, there's no wiggle room here. There's no caveats. We must forgive as we've been forgiven by God. Man, I wish it was easier than that, but it's not. We must forgive if we are to be forgiven by God. How many tons of forgiveness has God shown to you? Consider that. How many tons of forgiveness has God shown you through Jesus Christ? How much are you willing to show others? How much forgiveness are you willing to, sh to show others? Here's what I know. Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus was leading us into a way that leads to life. If we follow His guidance, we obey His commands, it leads us uh, more and more into the presence of God. And that leads us into a whole kind of new place with others in our lives. So knowing that God is attentive and ready and willing to give us what we need, Jesus has directed us, commanded us, guided us to pray in this way. It tells me this, the sun is shining. The sun is shining today. It's shining brightly. Are you ready to clear away some of those clouds? Are you ready to do that? And what would it be like if you did? Let's pray together. Father, in my grown-up self, I'm thankful that there's hard lessons in the Bible. But in that hurt and scared and fearful child version of me, I'm still kind of afraid of that. I still struggle a bit to get my arms around the idea that my life with God and my life with others, they're interconnected. That there's a dependence between the two. That if there's a hardness in my heart, an unwillingness to open toward others in forgiveness, it's going to be closed to you when you offer your forgiveness. God, I hate the idea that, that we're stunted in our growth. We're stunted in our pursuit of Christ-likeness when there's a hardened, closed-off place in our heart towards someone else. And God, the, Jesus came and He knows what it's like to be offended, to be betrayed, to be hurt, and to even be destroyed by people. Yet He was able to forgive. Even as He hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, may I have a gracious heart like Jesus did. May that great debt that You forgave me and my sin be reflected in my willingness to forgive others. And I love it that you're not saying I must, I, must over, I must act like what they did didn't happen or that it didn't matter, that it hurt. I'm human. We are all human. But it's especially in the midst of that humanity that you're calling forth the Christ-likeness in each of us. So God, help us in that.
Lord, you give us our daily bread. God, help us forgive. Lord, I pray for my friends here that might be struggling, that might be sitting here with this recollection, with this difficulty, and knowing that it's just even, it feels too hard. It feels like too much. I pray you give them courage, give them motivation, maybe make them uncomfortable enough to do something about it today. Lord, Jesus, Jesus told this parable for people like us. It was in response to Peter's question, but it's in, in response to all of our questions. How many times do I have to forgive? We must forgive. We live a life of forgiveness. So God, give us courage today. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Uh, today we're going to worship a bit more. And I want to make the most of this opportunity. Um, I don't know who I was talking to specifically in the room today, but there's some here that feel weighed down. And I think it'd be the best use of our time to pray together, okay? Now what that would require of you is for you to get up and to move and to come sit with me, sit with Christy, uh, uh, sit with uh, uh, Kendi's up there. <laughs> anyway, there's people here you can pray with. Sometimes it helps to have a, a brother or sister with you to go to the Lord and say, help me do what I, I don't feel like I can do on my own. Okay, so we're going to sing a song. Uh, I'm going to go sit at the, that row behind Richard there. Uh, and Christy, you'll come with me maybe, please. Uh, and would you be so bold, if you've been carrying unforgiveness, a grudge, past hurts, past, past slights, and you know it's been interfering with your availability to the work of God in your life, let's pray about it today. Don't go another day living under these clouds. Okay? So let's worship together and then let's pray.